Hey everybody, it's Jim Mallard here. Welcome to the Mallard Report. The Mallard Report is recorded in front of a live virtual audience on the Duck Pond. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, live. Mallard.com, M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. One more thing before we start. Let me turn it over to my friend that you may know from Ancient Aliens and the Curse of Oak Island and many other things, Robert Clotworthy. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. want to welcome everybody to this evening's program. Yeah. 66 and clear. Oh, God, it's getting cold. It must be getting closer to fall, which is good. Our guest tonight is Samuel Chung. He is the L.A.-based certified court reporter and Chinese translator. Mr. Chung is here to discuss his Taibua Prophecy, The Golden Planet, The Abduction to the Ninth Planet, written by the late Frenchman Michel de Marquet. In this 1987 book, de Marquet claims he was transported to a different planet by super-intelligent race of giants. Chung spent some time with him prior to his death and believes his account to be true. Samuel, welcome to the program. How are you doing tonight? Very good. Thank you for inviting me here. So I, I've got to talk about the court reporting and your journey to get to the meeting this guy first, and then we'll I'll probably do one of those little fun adverts I was talking about, and then we'll trans move into talking about him and his book. So, so what made you want to become a court reporter? A uh, court interpreter. I am uh, oh, oh, sorry. actually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no problem. Yeah, a court interpreter because I speak Chinese and I decided that uh, I could do better and make a better living by becoming a certified court interpreter. So I got my license in the state of uh, California and also New York. I'm also a federal court registered interpreter and uh, I do a lot of uh, uh, work for attorneys and uh, judges and also uh, prosecutors, and uh, it's it's pretty fun doing this kind of work. It's also going to be kind of difficult, though. I mean, I don't. Okay, I profess to know next to nothing about the Chinese language, but I just know it's difficult. <laughs> so it is a very different language. It is uh, very difficult for a non-native uh, speaker because it got four different tones, and it has to be someone native to be able to handle the four tones well. Four tones. So, but when I see it wrote out, can you pick up the tone based on how it's wrote? Well, um, it really, we have, if uh, they're in uh, the English letters, uh, then we have to use a mark to indicate which tone it is. For example, the pronunciation ma, uh, ma is the first tone, ma is the second tone, ma is the third tone, and then ma is the fourth tone. So those are the four different, like theme tones, like different pitches. I, I know my listeners are out there laughing because I barely speak English at a third grade level, and you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very different. Um, and then to do it at a proficient level, and then do it at a uh, expert level, I guess I could call you. That's a fair statement at this point. So, yeah, that's yeah, incredible. it is uh, quite challenging because uh, you know uh, people have to take uh, the exam. And only about 5% of people pass the exam. It's a very rigorous and challenging exam for people to, to pass. So I've got one more informal question about this because I'm just curious. You said New York and, and California. There's a bunch of states in the middle. Why none of them? Uh, because uh, New York and California have the most uh, Chinese-speaking population. And um, I thought, uh, I mean, California is uh, good enough for me to survive and for work and also to live and I also added New York just to um, just to make people feel that I have the credentials <laughs> hey what, if it yeah. works for you it works for you I'm, I don't argue I, I'm just here to ask questions and, and learn some stuff but we're, we're, let's uh, let's get after it duckpondshop.com let's get after it duckpondshop.com okay so talk, talk to me about um, what got you interested in Michelle's uh, Michelle's um, book because I'm sure you picked it up and read it, 
but then you then you went into translating it. But what what where I mean, how did you come across it the first time? The first time, you know, when I was young, I was always fascinated by the uh, paranormal phenomena, phenomena, and and I was always curious about uh, different things, such as uh, what really happened in the Bermuda Triangle, who really built the Great Pyramid of Egypt, and for what purposes. And I thought, also, I always thought that uh, as human beings on Earth, we can evolve uh, at much faster pace. We can just learn from the ETs. Uh, who has uh, advanced civilization, uh, that would be a shortcut for us, just to learn from the best and then to uh, get uh, information about their technologies and how they live. Uh, hopefully we can imitate and also be like them. So I, it's always in my subconscious mind to get as much information as possible from ETs. So when I came to the U.S., I searched um, uh, the Internet and also the libraries. One day I was searching on Amazon, looking for books about ET contactees. So I accidentally found this book, uh, Theobald Prophecy. At that time, it was titled Abduction to the Ninth Planet. So I borrowed the book from the library because at that time, it was uh, very expensive on Amazon. Um, and I checked it out. And halfway reading the book, I thought this book was amazing because it actually explained uh, basically all the mysteries of the world all the um, all the paranormal, and um, I couldn't put the book down because it really got a lot of information related to the stories in the Bible. I, I really didn't believe anything written in the Bible before reading this book, The Oba Prophecy, because to me the stories in the Bible were just uh, too incredible. But uh, this book, The Oba Prophecy, connected all the dots of the stories in the Bible. So. Um, and, and uh, so that, there I am, uh, I'm just so into the book because uh, it contains a lot of the specific verifiable details, different from other New Age books, uh, which seem to be very general and talk, talk about uh, the general ideas. But this book has uh, so much detailed information that are that is so specific that people can actually look it up and verify. So let's drill down on that before I shift forward again you because I, I know there's somebody out there listening to this going extra UFOs and alien phenomenon in the Bible and they're scratching their head and going I've, we've already lost them can you can you shed a little bit more light on that before we keep going here yes remember uh, if you know the Bible you know Exodus like uh, Moses leading the Hebrews out of Egypt and the parting of uh, the sea, uh, which is people believe is the Red Sea, but actually the Sea of the Reeds, the Sea of Reeds. Um, and um, actually, what according to this book, what actually happened was that this group of ETs was involved in leading the Hebrews out of Egypt and guiding Moses to uh, to uh, to Mount Sinai. And uh, this is not the only thing that it mentioned about the stories in the Bible. It also talks about uh, Jesus Christ. When I was reading the Bible, I was always wondering, like, you know, um, Jesus, if he was really able to perform all the miracles, why there was no record of him performing the miracles before the age of 30? It happened afterwards. Like, you know, if a person like him could uh, do that, uh, have this kind of extraordinary ability, there must have been some kind of record showing him like doing so at the age of 20 or 25. But there's no such record. And also there's record of Jesus going to India, and also there is uh, uh, evidence that uh, there is a tomb of Jesus Christ in Shingo village, Japan. And that made me wonder what really happened. Didn't Jesus die on the cross and resurrected three days after? It is indeed the case, and there's uh, another story about it, and which this book, Theobald Prophecy, uh, explains everything and connects all the doubts about why people say Jesus visited India and why there's a tomb of Jesus in single village Japan, and uh, also why uh, Jesus actually died on the cross and resurrected three days after. So, like, like I was saying, this is definitely not a traditional UFO story or New Age story, so I'm happy that we're here to 
bring them together? Because I've always thought there has been a connection, but it seems like you're helping me figure out what it is. So, now you you read the book, and you got fascinated by it. I'm sure you read it probably more than once. But mm-hmm. yeah. then, 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 then you went above and beyond. Okay, bad pun. Uh, you met the author. Or how did you come across? How did you then proceed to get down further down into that? You know, the um, you know uh, when I was reading this book, I thought this book is this book is really good. Okay, uh, a lot of information I can do research. But then when I read the postscript, the author Michelle Demarquet says there are more incredible things that he was not allowed to write in the book because we were far from understanding them. That got me because to me, this book is already incredible enough. What's more incredible and what's more that he was not allowed by the ETs to write in the book. That got me extremely curious. I decided to pay a visit to the author, Michel de Marquet. I searched uh, on the internet and found that some of the tourists actually met him in, um, on a southern island in Vietnam. But they didn't really reveal his exact address. So um, I decided to... Um, to give it a try by uh, flying to that island in southern Vietnam, and I showed a photo of his bungalow to a taxi driver after I landed on, uh, in the airport. And then the taxi driver just took me there, <laughs> and then I found him. <laughs> that happened, yes. Uh, I'm t- now, see, that's just as mar- remarkable a story as any of the rest of this at this point. Because, I, you know, I'm thinking, you know, if somebody walked up to me and showed me a picture of a house, could I pull it up in my local area and know where it is? That's, you know, that's just phenomenal to me. Okay, now, getting there is one thing, which is phenomenal, okay? But now you're there. Well, take me through this process, because this has to be an interesting moment in time when you uh, decide to walk up to the door. Yes. Uh, he was uh, taking an afternoon nap at that time, and I waited until he uh, woke up. After he met me and found out that uh, I was there, for uh, for this book, and he got really annoyed. He was a very private person. He didn't really want want to be bothered because of the book. He wanted to meet people, uh, just uh, tourists, not uh, specifically for the purpose of asking questions about the book. Um, so he uh, he was uh, really kind of um, um, his attitude was not that pleasant to me. But then after two or three days, uh, his attitude changed. He said that uh, I could help him help him by uh, following up with a contract that he signed with a publisher in China, who paid him two thousand dollars for the copyright of the book to be published in China, but never contacted him again. He didn't know whether the book was published or not. He wanted me to uh, contact that publisher. So I was uh, trying to please him because I wanted to know what was not written in the book. So I was uh, so eager to kind of uh, cater to all his uh, all his wishes. I contacted uh, the Chinese publisher. It turned out that uh, they um, paid but didn't really publish the book because they were afraid of the censorship. They say that if they were to publish the book, they would all lose their jobs in China. Uh, so they were really afraid of the Chinese government. So I had to find uh, another publisher to publish the book. Um, so I tried and I found a publisher and it, it, uh, it was published uh, as a science fiction in China. Later it got published in Taiwan as well as a nonfiction. Um, and Michel de Marquet was uh, really happy and he invited me a second time to visit him. Uh, and he said he would tell me the one thing he was not allowed to write in the book. So you built this really okay. You built the relationship, and now you, you've mentioned that you had it published in China and Taiwan, which brings up a fascinating point that it was a bestseller in both countries, which I know is not an easy feat by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, uh, for China, uh, it was uh, kind of uh, really amazing event that happened that it turned out to be a bestseller, one of the bestsellers in China. Uh, I guess it's probably because um, there was a strong censorship that no 
books, uh, very few books uh, on um, spirituality was published in China. So, so that's why there was a vacuum, and this book filled a vacuum in China. Um, and for Taiwan, it's a different story because uh, an internet influencer uh, with uh, 3 million followers or subscribers on YouTube uh, talked about this book, and then it became an instant hit in the Taiwan book market. So people were buying this book uh, like crazy, and actually it was sold out in most of the bookstores in Taiwan for a period of time. So Shifting Gears brought to you by evergreenpodcast.com. Shifting Gears brought to you by evergreenpodcast.com. Okay, so let's get into his actual experience because intelligent giants don't know. What I think ET is I think small too. So you're kind of uh, shifting my whole orthodox of what I think tonight. So when you when he says giants, do you know how tall? They're eight or nine foot tall. They're blonde, um, like Caucasian looking, Nordic looking. They're very beautiful. They have a very, um, like, enviable breasts to women. And, and also they have, uh, but they're hermaphrodites. Like, they have the male and female sexual organs um, on their body. So they never age. They always uh, look very young, like in their 30s. They're always very happy. They're, they seem like uh, receiving um, good news all the time. So when they look at Michel de Marquet, they, the people, the aliens, the ETs uh, who are not familiar with him, were wondering why was Michel de Marquet always so sad? Because his facial expression or our facial expression appear to them to be like a sad facial expression. Um, they are always uh, happy and glorious, and uh, they're very radiant too because uh, they are they have a very bright aura, and they could uh, perform all the miracles performed by Jesus Christ. They could heal people by uh, just uh, using their uh, intentions or mind. They can levitate. They can materialize objects. They can shape shift. They can also kind of like um, do all the things that they wanted to do. Uh, it's amazing. I was going to say, that sounds incredible to be able to do all those things. I mean, being able to do one of those things would be fun. Uh, heal people. Yeah. Probably, probably, I guess healing people wouldn't be fun, but shape-shifting and all the other stuff would be. Um, healing people would be just as important. Uh, how, how many times did he um, interact with, with these things? Well, he was uh, taken to their planet for nine days. So they put in the entire uh, trip, uh, including the way there and also after uh, after he spent nine days on the way back, he was told a lot of things about the history of Earth um, and how, where the black people, the yellow people, and the Jewish people came from, and also the Caucasian people. And uh, who built the Great Pyramid? What happened uh, to the in the Bermuda Triangle? And uh, a lot of different uh, things, which are extremely interesting. And this group of ETs, um, they they actually um, treated him very nicely. He felt love, um, unconditional love, and he felt uh, very comfortable. And he really didn't want to come back to Earth. He forgot his family in Australia. And he he really was really surprised when they said, "Oh, it's time um, we are going back, we are going home," and and he was extremely surprised because he <laughs> wanted to stay there because it seemed to him that uh, Theoba, the name of the planet, Theoba was like a paradise to him. Well, I'm I'm assuming if everybody's happy, I wouldn't want to come back either. Nine days, so. What happened on Earth for those nine days? Does he remember anything that happened during those nine days or not? Well, well he uh, remembered everything. Um, I mean, he physically, he was physically taken to their planet. So he witnessed and experienced everything. After he came back, he was uh, asked or ordered to, to write a book uh, reporting everything happened to him. And when he came back, he 
um, remembered a lot of things, and when he needed help, um, it's like uh, the memories or the information was downloaded to him regarding what really happened to him on the planet, on their planet. So he received a lot of help when writing this book. That's why he was able to report all the details in the book. Yeah, I, I was just thinking that I'd need some help too. I was joking with somebody yeah. this morning that I couldn't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. So, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so he gets back and writes the book. What kind does he have? Any? I mean, there's got to be trouble trying to get the book out there in the first. I mean, for him, the first time. Yes, um, he his the experience happened in um, in in mid of um, 1989, 1987. And then um, he actually wrote a book uh, in about a few months. But then he had a hard time finding a publisher. One reason was that he insisted the book to be published as a nonfiction in Australia. And all the publishers he contacted wanted to publish the book as a fiction, as a science fiction, and he refused. So he waited until... um, in 1993, when the book was published in Australia, and that's about uh, two years after the formal Soviet Union um, broke up, like breakdown. And and he said that uh, he he believes Michel de Marquet believed that um, the timing was also important because uh, it was uh, the Ethiopians, the ETs, that timed the event of uh, the publishing of the book because uh, that would cause the most effect on the people uh, two years after um, after the former Soviet Union um, broke up. So I've got a question here from Kat Ward of the Paranormal Heart. She's got a great question here for you. Did, did he ever get into, or did he ever find out, why he was the one taken and commissioned to write this book? Yes. According to this book, um, he had 80 past life already. So he lived uh, like he had uh, 80 previous lives. And the, so he's considered like a Soko. Um, and um, only a Soko can survive nine days on their planet. Their, their planet is a category nine planet. Earth is a category one planet. Only the people like him, like having had 80 previous lives or past lives, uh, could survive for nine days on a Category 9 planet. He was told this, and there are not so many people on Earth who have had 90 past lives. So that's why they chose him, in addition to the fact that he's a man of action. And this I can testify because uh, he really acted upon uh, receiving uh, information, and he didn't wait at all. Uh, just uh, the, the one thing he didn't write in the book um, he told me within five minutes after meeting him the second time. So he was uh, kind of like really prompt in, in taking action. And another reason that I, I believe uh, is another, there's another reason. He was a farmer and la- a landscaper in Australia. So um, he didn't have any uh, college education and he didn't have any predisposition or presupposition. Um, and he didn't have any agenda. Um, a journalist, uh, for example, would report things, but then a journalist would also add sensational details in order to sell the story uh, better, to make it uh, sell better. So I think there's another reason. He's like a blank piece of paper to write on. So he would uh, objectively um, report everything that happened to him. So I think this is another reason they chose him. See, we've mentioned the the Jesus aspect of this. Was he a spiritual, religious man before this experience or after? Or did it it change his outlook? Well, he really didn't believe in in the Catholic doctrine. And he was more leaning towards uh, the beliefs uh, or doctrines of Buddhism. Uh, but he was not a religious person at all um, before and after. Uh, this is more about spirituality other than uh, religious beliefs. So according to him uh, or in the book, 
knowledge is uh, very important, especially spiritual knowledge. And when one receives or one obtains uh, sufficient knowledge, then one would be enlightened enough or be um, like spiritually um, grown into uh, into uh, into someone that's um, kind of like know what is really going on around the world. So speaking of going on around the world, did it did the uh, giants have any reviews or opinions on our earthly religion? Because we, ha- I mean, let's be honest, we have a smattering of them. Smattering is that even a word? A bunch of them. There we go. Don't want to make you translate words that aren't real. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, did did I get into that at all? I mean, uh, in terms of uh, religions. Uh, well, they talk about uh, organized religions on on Earth, and also talk about uh, what's uh, really happening on Earth. In terms of the organized religions, they believe the ETs believe that um, uh, the organized religions uh, are a curse on Earth because they tend to distort the original meanings of certain things. For example, they say that the uh, teachings of Jesus Christ uh, were followed. Um, like uh, for about uh, 300 years or so. And then they were distorted by the uh, councils uh, of the Catholic Church. And they, the book is very specific about uh, the four council meetings that uh, intentionally distorted uh, the original scriptures of the Bible. So they believe that organized religions on earth uh, is really a curse. And they also talk about uh, what's really happening on Earth. They say that uh, really uh, what's happening right now is not uh, what they appear to be because there are people running things behind the scenes. The financiers, everything is about money. The um, oil companies uh, suppress clean energy technologies because uh, hydrogen engines were invented um, like far, like, earlier than this book published, um, like, much earlier than 1987 uh, or 1991 or 1993, much earlier than that. But the oil companies suppressed the uh, clean uh, technologies, and so are the pharmaceutical companies and also the politicians. And a lot of, um, they're, they're asking us to wake up to what is really happening around us. Um, and I, I got to meet uh, Michel de Marquet twice and ask him a lot of questions about this. I say, who is really running different things behind the scenes? Who is really running the world? And Michel de Marquet said to me that according to Tao, the ET, there are 12 families that, that are running, running things that people don't know about. And I, I asked him, like, who are the, who are the 12 families? And, and, what are the names? He didn't tell me that, but but I, I did a lot of own research, my own research, and they're really not um, the family that people normally think they are. There there are other people um, than than the family that people normally think that they are. And and Michel de Marquet also added the Catholic the Catholic Church was also um, one of the religious organizations. So, uh, running behind the, running behind certain things, uh, behind the scenes. So before I forget, um, where, uh, where can people get the book and find you and all that fun stuff? Because I'm sure people want to be checking out the book. Yeah, they can search uh, Theoba Prophecy on Amazon and get the book there. Uh, Theoba is uh, spelled as uh, T H I A O O U B A. B.S. in boy. Theoba uh, or Hyoba, the pronunciation is very similar to uh, Jehovah. Um, and uh, there's a, a reason for this because according to the ETs, when the original Bible talks about Jehovah, they were referring to them because it was the Jehovah or Theoba that led Moses out of Egypt. Say that one more time, because I, I, I was listening to you, and in my mind, 
kind of got confused because I'm so used to hearing it one way and then you said it something else. Yes, uh, the pronunciation of the word "fuba" uh, can also be "fuba," which is uh, very similar to the pronunciation or the way how people pronounce uh, "Jehovah." Jehovah. Yeah. Okay. And in fact, the two are related because, according to this book, when the original Bible talks about Jehovah, they're actually referring to them, the Theobans, the Theobans who led Moses out of Egypt. Blowing my mind tonight. I don't, I, you know, that's, being speechless isn't a good thing for a talk radio host, by the way. Maybe it is a good <laughs> thing. I mean, it yeah. mean, means I'm listening and engaged in the process, but of course it doesn't really help when it comes time to ask questions, but that's okay. I've actually got one here um, from Germantown Runner in the, in the live chat who was stirring it pretty good. He says, how did, how did the giants travel? Via multiverses, black holes, teleportation... Uh, spacecraft? Okay. So they actually uh, first arrived at a parallel universe, um, which is uh, somewhere near the Earth's atmosphere. So they they stopped uh, in a parallel universe uh, because they didn't want other people on Earth to see them. After a brief stay in the parallel universe, um, he was led into, he was transported to into uh, the spaceship, their spaceship. And then they traveled at a few times the speed of light into deep space. And then from the deep space, they traveled using what we can say teleportation or what Michel de Marquet said is super substantiation, which is like a teleportation uh, in which the spaceship uh, was instantaneously uh, teleported into another um, another location. And then after that, they traveled again at a speed uh, a few times faster than the speed of light to the planet Theoba. So this is how, how they got their planet. So it took them less than one day to arrive uh, to the planet Theoba from Earth. I'm still trying to wrap my head around faster than the speed of light. <laughs> yeah. So, so he says that the reason, well, he asked the question, how many times faster than speed of light? He was told uh, that this information um, is not to be given to him because uh, of uh, some reason. But there are more uh, amazing things that are waiting him to, uh, to experience and to report on. And then um, there are like a few things uh, that he was not allowed to know. Of course, if he doesn't know, uh, we don't know. Um, and but that's uh, one reason for them to travel into deep space and then use teleportation was that if they were to use uh, super substantiation or teleportation, uh, like near Earth, then the spaceship would have uh, exploded, would have been exploded. So they were only able to use teleportation teleportation in deep space to avoid to avoid a spaceship from exploding. So my, my follow-up question to you, while I'm trying to wrap my head around all the speed and all this movement, is did you think you were going to get contacted by these giants at some point? Me? No. Um, I Personally, I have not, but uh, uh, I actually... Uh, I, I think that's not important as uh, not that not as important as uh, spreading the messages because I think uh, uh, right now we are at uh, a critical moment of time and like a, a crossroad and I'm trying to um, get the message out to as many people as possible so that people can make the right decisions at least certain people can make the right decisions. Because this book is actually a warning to us. It's not a prophecy, but it's a warning. Um, I can elaborate on that. Because, yeah, go, go ahead. Because uh, I'm, I'm like, I, I was going to ask you because that's kind of a, I don't want to say scary thing, but maybe it is. Well, um, one of the most important messages in the book is that uh, we have to be more spiritual in our lives when making decisions and technology 
we think our technology is developing very fast with uh, mobile phones or quantum computers or cryptocurrencies, but they're actually leading us to a more materialistic life. Um, it's going to cause a lot of uh, damages to our spirituality or the growth of spirituality um, because uh, when we focus too much on in our material life, we don't uh, evolve uh, as much spiritually. Um, spiritual development is actually the purpose of life. And uh, when we die, our astral body leaves the physical body, and then we get a life reveal process. So we reveal everything happened in our lifetime. Uh, we can feel the feelings of the others when we acted in a certain way. When we mistreated the person, that person's feelings would be felt by by us when we die, after we die. Um, so we judge ourselves. We evaluate how we did in our lifetime. And then if we focus too much on our material life, then our experiences would uh, be very difficult to be filtered by the different, uh, like, more easy analogy, like filtration systems, because we only keep the good things or the spiritual lessons that we learn in our lifetime. Uh, how we help others, how we give uh, unconditional love to others, how we um, provided assistance to the people in need, especially the poor and the needy. We don't get to keep the experiences of um, how we enjoyed our material life, such as uh, living in a mansion or driving a luxurious car or spending thousands or millions of dollars on um, uh, luxury goods. We don't keep those kind of experiences, but we keep the experiences of how we helped others, how we loved others. Um, but the technologies on Earth are actually leaning towards um, people um, into focusing more on the material enjoyment, which is really not uh, the purpose of life. And we are at a very critical moment of time because uh, in the last uh, few decades, uh, our technologies have risen into a stage in which kind of uh, the steam engine and also other things have actually taken a toll, not only on the environment, but also on um, how people live. So um, if we don't change our ways, um, catastrophes are going to happen for sure. When the messages were given to Michel de Marquet, this group of uh, loving ETs who showed uh, great like uh, love to Michel de Marquet um, actually um, did one thing. One of the key main people, like uh, Tao, the, the character in the in the book, actually pinched uh, Michel de Marquet so hard that he actually hurt and got a bruise on his shoulder. They did such a like brutality or terrible thing on him was just to make him remember the information given to him by the seven uh, Torah or Torahs or Tauri, Torah. Because the information, the message was so important that he had to really uh, pass on the messages word by word to us, the people on earth. Because if we don't really um, take the messages seriously, then something would happen. And um, I would refer people to the stories in the Bible, like the two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. The people in the two cities behaved so badly, um, and that the uh, what they say the Jehovah or uh, actually destroyed the two cities, not really because of sodomy, but because the, the people in the two cities punished the people who did good things, who helped others. Like if you really read uh, the Jewish uh, ancient scriptures, you're going to see that the uh, people in the two cities punished like a girl who provided, who gave food 
to a hungry person. They actually burned that girl. Um, and they did a lot of terrible things to the good people, the kind-hearted people and the compassionate people. So that's why uh, the Theobans believe that um, uh, the people in Sodom and Gomorrah were setting a very bad example to the people who got in touch with them. They're like the cancer cells spreading the tumors to other parts of the body. So they had to take the cancer cells out or the tumors out. Um, so I think uh, I'm doing everything possible to warn people. And this book is a warning to the people that they should, really should look inside of them, themselves to look for answers and to learn and to know, have the knowledge that um, spirituality is something that they should really pay attention to, not the material life. So uh, my question is, well, I guess it's more maybe following up and want to get a little bit more clarification because this was 1987 he was getting this message. And I mean, we're, goodness, I'm trying to do math on the fly and I shouldn't, uh, 35 years removed from that. And technology has boomed quite a bit in the last 35 years. And I, I, I totally agree that that prophecy or that warning or however you want to put it has come true because we have been so uh, less human in the last 35 years than we were before. And I don't see it slowing down. So <laughs> I guess the point is that maybe we need to start paying attention to these things just to make sure I'm That's hearing right. you correct. Okay. <laughs> That's right. We, we need to actually, I, I think there's a, a, a lot of information uh, contained in the book that I, I really don't have a lot of time to elaborate. In, no, in no, I, 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 and I don't want to, I don't want you to give it all away, but I just want to make sure that we got that point out there because, I mean, the the proof is the time that's passed since the book was originally wrote, right? To get it, you know, just saying that here's one case study and that was right. <laughs> I mean, dead on, spot on. Yeah. I mean, there are also a lot of uh, verifiable evidence or details contained in the book. I can elaborate a little bit more on the parallel universe and what happened in the Bermuda Triangle, and also um, the evidence or or documented by uh, David Politis, the missing 411. Oh, go uh, ahead. He, he, he was on the show before, so go ahead. Yes, yes. So what happened uh, in the Bermuda Triangle was that there was a warp, or like a portal into a parallel universe. Planes or ships that uh, are near that location, which is like a floating lo location, got stuck in, sucked into this parallel universe. Once they're in the parallel universe, time stops and people don't feel any pain and don't feel any hunger. And um, so that's why, actually, Michel de Marquet went into the parallel universe and saw people wearing medieval clothes and also people in ancient times behaving like savages. And it reminds me of um, the missing 411 cases, strange cases, people who gone missing in the national parks in the U.S. in clustered locations. I believe that those clustered locations are where the, um, war or the warps of parallel universe existed. And uh, David Pilatus uh, provided a lot of uh, interesting details, such as uh, people whose corpses were found were really strange in a way that uh, it seemed that they didn't feel any pain at all. They walked to their bones or they ran to their bones, and they had a lot of like uh, bruises or, or uh, injuries that um, if a person felt any pain and they, they wouldn't have... Uh, like uh, kind of uh, let themselves into those kind of uh, pain or, or injuries. So this kind of uh, coincides with the fact uh, written in this book that people in parallel universe don't feel any pain and time stops. And, and also a lot of, uh, like like David Pilates, I really like him very much uh, because he said that uh, some people, after getting out of, after they were found, 
after they were missing and after they were found, we're asking what happened to them. They reported uh, like a lot of uh, descriptions that really didn't appear to be uh, in the vicinity vicinity of where they uh, where they went missing. So they were describing uh, places in which uh, didn't appear to be like where they they went missing. They were like a, a different world. So this is really interesting because Michel de Marquet describes uh, what happened to the parallel universe he went into, um, like to be very very different from Australia or anywhere he he visited. Um, and I think uh, this book, I mean, if you know him, if you know David Gladys, uh, maybe you can uh, ask him to read this book because it can be helpful to him. Because I believe uh, the parallel universe theory explains a lot of his um, uh, missing for one cases. I'll see what I can do. Um, Thank you. Question from Kim in the chat room here: Have you ever, uh, you mentioned being interested in the paranormal? Uh, have you ever seen anything paranormal, ghosts or UFOs or aliens or anything like that? As you. As myself, no, I'm very insensitive in a lot of uh, ways. I've never seen a ghost, I've never seen a UFO, but I've heard people who are able to uh, see ghosts, uh, who have uh, seen UFOs, and who actually got contacted by the grace. I have a friend, a Chinese friend, uh, who a few days uh, ago contacted me, and she knew that I was uh, into the UFOs, and she said he, she had this kind of... Uh, Experience happened like a few weeks ago that he, uh, that she, uh, she was paralyzed and she, uh, saw this kind of two grays, um, and they shone a very bright light on her and her pains or her injuries on her knee were kind of fully recovered. But she believed that she was implanted by, by them, um, on her uh, head. And uh, coincidentally, uh, Michel de Marquet spoke about the, the grace. In fact, uh, he saw that there were at least uh, 200 different ETs in our galaxy, at least 200 different races, uh, different kinds of ETs. And the grace uh, were actually, according to uh, this group of ET from Theoba, they came from category one planet, same as Earth. We are like elementary school students. Uh, the grades are also like elementary school students. Uh, the students, on the other hand, came from a category nine planet. So they're like uh, the professors. And um, they're highly evolved. I mean, the students. Uh, a level uh, higher than nine will be the source, the creator of the universe. So the grades actually came to the Earth just to observe us. And they did. Uh, put uh, some implants onto about 150 or so of us because they really wanted to see how we respond to our increasingly decreased immune system. According to them, uh, our immune system has been decreasing since 1948 after the atomic bomb was uh, uh, launched. launched and and uh, so they are have the grades are also having the same problems. Their immune system has been decreasing over time, so they are dying the dying species. Um, and uh, but on the other hand, there is absolutely no danger to us uh, with their implants because uh, according to the theoban, they have been observing the grades as well to make sure that they don't harm us in any way. So people who have the implants, uh, don't worry. Uh, they're not harmful at all. So don't be afraid not to be scared at all. What, what about the, um, what is it, RH blood type that I've heard so much about? Do you know anything about that? Well, uh, I mean, I know that the U.S. government has been working with the Grays or RH1, probably the RH1. RH1. I, I'm not really sure, but... Uh, to gain their technologies. So in a sense, the elementary school students are learning from another elementary school student. <laughs> we are learning the technologies from category one planet, which is 
not bad, but uh, if I were the U.S. government or anyone with a reasonable mind, I would learn from the past, learn from the category of night planet, <laughs> the people there, and um, to learn how we can evolve uh, better. Seems like I'm jumping all over the place, probably because I am, because I'm looking at the clock and we're starting to run out of time, so I want to make sure I get as many of these things as I can. You mentioned the uh, 89 past lives earlier. Have you ever tried to figure out how many you've had or why you ha- why he would have had so many? Um, no, I'm not really, like, you know, I wanted to be hypnotized uh, before. Uh, but for some reason, I just, uh, in my subconscious mind, I just know that I'm not uh, able to be hypnotized. So I, I never tried again. So I don't know how many past lives that I have had. Um, I guess a lot because uh, I just have a very intuitive mind. And it seems that this book resonates a lot to me. Uh, and that um, indicates that I'm an uh, old soul, um, just like other people who resonate to the messages in this book. And uh, go ahead and promote the book one more time before I, because I've got a bunch of little random, I don't want to say off the wall questions, but general interest questions I want to get to here with you just because. So um, let's put a close on the book for a second. Okay. Um, the book is titled Hioba Prophecy, or Hioba Prophecy, T-H-I-A-O-O-U-B-A. People can find this book on Amazon. And my personal website is chinasona.org, C-H-I-N-A-S-O-N-A dot O-R-G. So, like I said, I, I got a little rapid fire here for you to kind of disc well, because we're getting close on time and I don't want to push us too far over and get into a deep point and have to cut you off. So here we go. Um, what's your favorite book? I guess, wait, wait, wait. I guess there's a preference. Not the book you you translated, but another book. <laughs> yes. My my favorite book, favorite book is this one, uh, Feel About Prophecy. There are, there are like a few other favorite books that, I, that I, I'm, I'm into. And, uh, but there are like the books written by um, some medical doctors such as uh, uh, Brian Weiss. Um, who studied um, past lives using hypnotherapy and a few others. Um, but uh, I would strongly suggest people to read this book. At least. I also like uh, David Platter's uh, books, the Missing 411 series of books. Yeah, they're, they're, they're interesting. Uh, if you're inter- it, I, I tell the people that are interested in a true crime they need to pick up some of those books because it <laughs> falls right into that. But it's not really crime, but close enough in yeah. some of those cases. Well, some of them are, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Um, and I also like uh, Barbara Brennan's book, uh, Hands of Light. Uh, she is great. Uh, I love her her books. Yeah. So, a uh, favorite breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> favorite breakfast? I would say uh, celery juice and also uh, fruits. I follow uh, the medical medium Anthony William, and I believe uh, he is the right person to follow because a lot of his messages are the, very similar to the messages in this book. I'm just, I'm fascinated, because I think you're probably the first person to say celery juice when I asked that question. Um, <laughs> so when you're, when you're not um, out talking about this book and uh, translating stuff, what are you up to? Well, I do a lot of research. Uh, right now I, I'm actually trying to develop an aura camera to study the human energy field, to capture to capture the human energy field. I'm always um, learning and also investigating or coming up with uh, different uh, things to help people out, either materialistically or spiritually. And I think uh, when, people's, uh, when people have the knowledge, they know how to act. An aura camera. That sounds, that sounds, I want to say neat, but I know that isn't the modern word. And some young kid is laughing at me right now. That's okay, though. <laughs> um, boy, um, you like living in California? Yes, I, I, I like the weather. And actually, I like Los Angeles uh, specifically because uh, it's actually a mixture of um, Asian culture and Latino culture. 
um, I I speak Spanish, and, yeah, and <laughs> I and I, I love all the people, uh, like uh, the Jewish people and the Black people, the African American people, and the uh, Latinos and, and Asians, Chinese, Japanese, Koreans. I love everyone. Is there some, anything you don't do? <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't take any drugs, uh, <laughs> hallucinogenic drugs, because according to this book, it's actually a danger to take any form of uh, hallucinogenic drugs because they affect negatively your human energy field or your aura, or in another way, like your astral body. So uh, people who can see aura. People can see the human energy field. Tell me that uh, they can tell immediately if a person uh, smoke or take uh, hallucinogenic drugs or not, because the aura looks uh, very ugly. So, I've got a question here from Captain Canada. Have you have you ever been to Canada? Canada, yes, I've been there uh, once in the past to uh, Vancouver. Did you like it? I'm, I'm sure that would be the next question out of their mouth, so we're just going to have to. <laughs> yes, I like it. I was uh, visiting a friend of mine from uh, from high school, and she is a great friend of mine. But she is, uh, like a lot of my friends are not into this book, and I try to persuade her, but she is just uh, not into it. <laughs> that's, that's okay. It's not for everybody, but you have to try, though. I get it. Yeah. Trust me. Just like this show, you have to try to talk people into listening. But most of the time, maybe, maybe, well, I don't know if it's any different for a book or not, because I know sometimes, you know, there's the time committee commitment either way. Yeah, I'm just like a planting seed. Uh, some will grow, some will not. And uh, it's up to the to the person, actually. Yeah, you're right. You just got to plant it and then hope it grows. And if not, well, there's a fair, you know, as long as a few do, right? That's all that really matters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I, I appreciate you immensely, Samuel, for hanging out with me and getting back. And uh, I do appreciate you dropping the note that said you wanted to be on, and I'm glad you did. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for dealing with my little technical snafu off the top. So, no problem. <laughs> talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Yes. Yes, of course. Have a good night. Good night. There we go. There's Samuel Chung. Uh Interesting, interesting story um, with the, the guest tonight, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to make of all that. I'm still trying to wrap my head around a number of those points about time and travel and prophecy and Bible and Jesus and aliens and you know, there's not many guests that uh, will take me back and leave me speechless for moments of time. But this one did tonight, and I, I enjoy that quite a bit. So we're glad to have that around here. So, yeah, we're doing good, and we'll be back, and we've got some more stuff coming down the pike here, and a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of changes, I think, maybe. I've been talking to Germantown Runner and some others today about maybe some things. We'll see how it all comes together. I don't know. We'll see. Germantown Runner has no idea when the post is coming, so he won't know if I hit it or not. I love that. And it's about a minute from now. Of course, it'll be playing. You know, I've already missed it or hit it when he gets to hear it because of the delay. But at least I'll have a clue when it's coming. I uh, just want to take a moment here and uh, remind people, if they're not on the duck pond, you can hear the crowd tonight. And you should see the buzz and the energy that is in, on the pond at certain points. And, uh, boy, it really helps... Um, me, because tonight I'm not feeling the best if you can't hear it in my voice. A uh, little stuffed up, a little sciency, a little plugged up in the ear even. Uh, so yeah, it, it's good to have a good crowd and a bunch of energy kind of suck in and, and live off tonight. So I'm, I'm glad they were there. But uh, yeah, if you're not subscribed, you need to subscribe because this is what you get around here. You get fun stuff, unedited, live. You get it. You just get it and it's raw and some nights it's good, and some nights it's not. <laughs> it's okay. It's the Mauer Report. It's what we live for around here. It's the Mallard Report. Yeah, the Mallard Report. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been a good show tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Take a few moments, subscribe, share, 
all the fun stuff, you know how to do it. I don't have to tell you. Just uh, be ready for next week. It'll be sooner than you think. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read.